you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 138 of the Speaking Club podcast. This was a fascinating interview for me, as I don't think I've quite nailed my style yet. I heard one of the things you're supposed to do is come up with adjectives to describe your brand. And my daughter Izzy said to me, Mum, what are your personal brand adjectives? I said, well, fun, quirky, provocative and transparent. And she said, so basically your brand is teenage lingerie. I think I still have some work to do. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hi, thanks for joining me again on The Speaking Club. I hope you and your family are well and uh, things are going according to plan, whatever that plan is, whoever's got a plan. Has anyone got a plan? I'm not sure. Anyway, we're all just trying to get through this as best we can, basically. But today we're talking about personal brand, because your personal brand plays an important part in getting your message across, especially when you're trying to get people to buy your stuff, whether that's an idea, a change, a cause, a product or a service, because they need to know, like and trust you first. Yet so many of us don't have a clue where to start or don't give our personal brand the attention it deserves. And that's why I'm so pleased to have Tamara Glick on the show. Tamara has spent almost 20 years helping people express their personal brands, both through their wardrobe and their words. And in this episode, Tamara will be sharing exactly what your personal brand is, what ingredients go into it, and what you should be paying attention to so that you can get the results that you want. We'll be looking at the mistakes to avoid and how your brand interacts with your audience and customers at the various touch points of their journey with you. So lots to look forward to. I would say if you want to up your brand game so that more people fall in love with you and your message, then listen up. Let's head over to that interview now. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Tamara Glick. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm really looking forward to this. I, I'm sure I could uh, be learning a lot from you today. So I'm, I'm all ears, as they say. <laughs> First question I wanted to ask is, could you share how you got into what you do today? Because you have sort of two sides to your, your business, really. So how did, how did you get into it? So, you know, I call myself a personal branding expert, both written and worn. And the truth is, it is a long and, you know, checkered past that I have. I started, you know, my career when I was very small. I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but I was actually building capsule wardrobes and helping people to travel for their professional lives when I was a teenager. I was the in-house specialist at my house. And it was never really a, a career choice. That's not how it was It was put to me, but I had a talent for it. And so it was something that I got to take on uh, for my parents when they, were, when they were traveling in their careers. But as I evolved, I decided, you know, a really marketable thing to do after a degree in English and women's studies 
would be to go and do a business degree. So I went and did my master's of business administration, my MBA. And while I was there, I thought the most creative thing that I could do with that degree would be to go into advertising. At the time, that was not one of the two flavors of Kool-Aid, right? right? There was finance and consulting and occasionally a marketing person. But, you know, I did my MBA many, many years ago. It wasn't as popular a degree as it is today. And so it was a very, there were very traditional ways of doing it. And in my particular school, there were some non-traditional ways, but I was the only person who was like, you know what, advertising agencies, that sounds like a great plan. So I would go and I'd visit my career center and I would ask them, you know, how do I put myself together to network in this industry or to have job interviews in this industry. And they gave me some great advice for people who would be going into finance and consulting, but really not great advice for somebody moving into a creative career. And I thought it sounded strange. You know, I had a background in fashion, but I didn't have the background in business. And I thought, well, you know, I'm at the best school in the country. I'll take their advice. Thank you very much. I'm going to run with that. And I had a mock interview with a neighbor who'd been in advertising for 20 years. She knew me very well. I mean, we lived next door to each other. I babysat her babies. So she knew me. And I showed up for our mock interview in a black skirt suit with a French twist and pearl earrings and pantyhose. And she looked at me and was like, what is this? (laughs) And I thought, I just, I don't know. How am I supposed to be this creative person if I'm dressed in, you know, a drone suit? It just didn't feel right. We had this wonderful conversation about knowing your audience, understanding your brand, and how those two things can work together. And that's when it dawned on me that fashion isn't frivolous. Clothes are a marketing tool. They are your packaging. And it was not until that time where I was like, oh my gosh, in these branding classes, when they're asking the question, why would you buy this product off a shelf and not another product off the shelf? Why would somebody choose you as opposed to your competition? Well, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And if we make really quick snap decisions in milliseconds, then it isn't because of what we're talking about. It's not because of what we've said. It's because of all of the experiences we've had in our individual lives up until that point that help us make a choice about what we're looking at right now. Interesting. So when I discovered those uh, intersections of things that I loved, of messaging, of authenticity, of feeling great in your skin and most importantly, self-expression, that's when I realized that, you know, fashion is, I love fashion. Style is different than that because it has so much to do with who you are as an individual. That has to do with your personal brand when you are a professional. So it all kind of came together for me in a really different way and people needed that help. Cool. So what did you turn up to the interview wearing in the end? (laughs) Actually, it's really funny because I did change my strategy completely um, and had no trouble getting into the advertising world by doing that because I was giving the right visual cues to help people understand that, you know, I fit in. They knew what to expect with me and it was was a no-brainer. Then we could have a conversation because... 
you know, that initial judgment was out of the way and I, I scored high. But there was a really interesting and funny interview scenario later in my career um, in advertising where it was a very off the cuff. Uh, it happened to be that a recruiter called me and asked me to go to an interview that afternoon. It was like right after work. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this isn't what I would normally wear. Normally, I would never suggest you wear a turtleneck to an interview because there's subconscious cues about that. And I was wearing a turtleneck with a skirt and I and a big chunky necklace, lots of personality in the accessories. And I turned up at the interview and the two people interviewing me were wearing turtlenecks. <laughs> and we just looked at each other and like just smiled because it was it was the three of us look alike and talk alike and sometimes you even walk alike. You know, it was very funny. And I got the job. It wasn't because of the turtleneck, but immediately they felt at ease because I felt familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I must ask, what are what does a turtleneck signify? Well, mm. not, I don't I don't actually wear turtlenecks because I don't think they suit my figure. But if I did wear one, what would I be saying? There's an interest. You can say a lot of things with a turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> but what's really interesting from a subconscious perspective is that when you close your neck, when you cover your neck and your chest, you are subconsciously sending a protected message. Right? right. So if you think about the animal kingdom, because when it comes down to it, when we make these quick decisions, this is our animal side. We're, we're relying on our instincts. We're relying on the history of knowledge that we've you know, obtained in our lives. That becomes instinct. So if you think about animals in the animal kingdom, what does an animal do when it feels super relaxed and trusting of you? It lets you tickle its tummy tickle its tummy, it raises its neck, it exposes the most vulnerable parts of its body. So when we cover our necks and we cover our chest, we are covering the jugular, the most you know, tender and, and vulnerable parts of our body. So we don't think about that consciously, no. obviously, but you can send a lot of these subconscious messages with what you're wearing via the style of the clothing or even the color and the texture of the clothing. And that's what gets really fun. God, there's a whole dark arts of styling that I never knew existed. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. It's, it's very interesting. So we, you mentioned fashion and style are different and we've talked to, and you mentioned the words personal brand. And then I guess there's personality on top of that. Uh, what I'm curious about is what makes up a personal brand and why, you know, I guess you said why it's important, but what, you know, what should people be thinking about if they're putting a personal brand together? I think if you approach it in the same way that you would a product or a service, an external brand, we know that when we look at a brand that we we associate certain qualities with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know you've mentioned this before on your podcast as well. When we think about brands like Nike and their slogan, yes. we know what they're about. Yeah. We know that they are there to inspire every athlete in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And when we think about ourselves, we may also have our own mission and vision. We might not talk about them in as rote a fashion um, or is it as in our elevator pitches that we talk mm -hmm. about all the time. You know, we always strive to make those feel very natural. A personal brand is very natural. It is your energy. It is your why, if you will. It is the how of what you do as much as the what of what you do. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about a personal brand, I'm really talking about what people say about you when you're not in the room. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. So 
you know, we know that we are a certain way. We know that we have intention to be a certain way in the world. When we're out of the room, would people pick up on that? Hmm. Would they be accurate? That to me is where we really have fun with personal branding is making sure that the messages that we want people to receive are the messages we are helping people to receive. And we have a great deal of creative control over how that happens if we're intentional about it, right? Sometimes we can come across a good fortune of, you know, relaying our personal brand or aspects of our personal brand without putting that much thought into it because it feels more natural to some than to others. But when we reach a certain stage, particularly in our lives, our careers, we do want to be intentional about it because it does help us to succeed to greater opportunities, greater no like, and trust factor. I am very, very big on that. That's what we're always trying to build with our audiences, no matter who they are. Do you feel you know me? Do you feel that you like me? Do you feel that you trust me? Mm. And the best ways to help people do that are to be consistent, authentic, and really clear about who you are in every interaction that you have. And so when you work with clients on a personal brand, do you focus predominantly on sort of clothing and and style or are there other factors that come into it in terms of I don't know glasses or hairstyle or things like that does it all do you tackle all of that absolutely when I start working with somebody on their personal brand for me this is not just about physically your body is x y and z or physically, your hair color, your skin tone, your eye colors are X, Y, and Z, and therefore it equals A or B. Mm-hmm. You know, that isn't how I prefer to do it. It is a very organic process. We are organic beings. So when I'm working with a client, the first thing is a discovery phase. We really want to understand where you're coming from, what your goals are. You know, what are we here to do? What are we helping you to achieve? How do we remove the blocks from getting to your success? And when we start looking at that, then I also get a really good feeling of your energy, your essence. Who are you? Mm. And how would it feel if you were fully expressed in the world so that when people came across you, they would always be able to say, you know, Sarah, every time I see you, I feel so held. I know how much you care. And I also love that like bit of humor that you inject, even when it's tough criticism. You know, I, I love feeling all of those things about you. And if everybody could come and say that kind of message to you, if that were mm-hmm. accurate, wouldn't that feel like you are truly living your purpose and you haven't really had to do anything. It's just transmitted. Yeah. So that's, that's how I begin. And then we talk about things like color and style and line and design and how that works because there's a science and there's an art to that. Every time we put a line on a, on another line Mm -hmm. or a curve on another curve, we fool the eye into seeing something new and we can fool the eye into seeing the best parts of us if we wanted to, if we knew how. And that's always my goal is how do we help people's eyes to capture everything so it translates into the brain exactly how we want it to. You do exactly the same in terms of your aspect as I'm trying to do with clients in the way that they physically portray themselves and orally portray and the, and the structure. of the, So you're, it's a whole big package thing really, isn't it? <laughs> 
It is. Oh. And that's what I love about what you do is that it feels like we're, we're a yin and yang where mm. we really understand how important it is to translate and communicate in the most vibrantly authentic way you can. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that thing about being fully expressed from a, this is slightly off track from the questions, but I think it's probably something important to address. So personally in the past, and, and there's still, you know, I'm sort of on a journey to, to, to lose some weight at the moment. You probably get this all the time. So to a degree and being completely honest here. So I don't feel able to sort of fully express myself in terms of style and wardrobe at the moment, because I'm probably more self-conscious than I would be, you know, when I, when I lose the, the additional weight and so on. I think that's a, that, that could be a barrier for a lot of people in terms of being themselves because they're hiding or they're, they, they're self-conscious or whatever. Is that something you can help people overcome? I think that there's a couple of things there and you've landed on a really important point. Um, and yes, a lot of people will wait. They'll resist wanting to embark on this journey until they reach a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what is so important is loving who you are whenever it is. And of course, we all have periods of time when we are more or less comfortable in our physical selves. Yes, That is the human condition to a degree. We always have that. It's an ebb and flow. And knowing that we always have that would let us know there's never an ideal time to start on this journey. Waiting until the next five pounds is just going to prolong your unhappiness. There is a lot to be said for feeling comfortable and confident in your person, no matter what physical form your person is in at any given time, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I know we're all going to feel more or less comfortable in ourselves at at whatever period of time. Um, And particularly right now when our, generally speaking, our physical activity is off um, because of the world in which we're currently functioning. Um, You know, and I have experienced that myself. The initial lockdown stage, not a fun time for feeling great in my skin. I missed doing the activity that is a normal part of my life, a regular daily thing. But regardless of that, we do also have a role to play in our lives for a lot of other people and especially for our work and our clients, right? And if we are coming to the stage or we're coming on screen to deliver Mm -hmm. our product, then feeling the best that we can about ourselves and in our skin will remove the block from our best performance. It's easy to continue to hide and use the excuse that you don't feel great in yourself. But if you have someone who's on your team, just like any of the other coaches on your team, who can help you strategize how to feel great in yourself, even on the days that aren't your favorite, then you're removing that block to success. You're creating more days that are great as opposed to more days that are not. Yeah. And I think it is, I think you're right. It is a catch-22 situation in a sense, because, you know, working with someone like yourself can open up the door to feeling comfortable and more confident 
And so if you, you know, if you keep putting it off, like you say, then you may never get there. I've had clothes in my wardrobe that have been sitting there for nearly 10 years that I haven't been able to fit into. So yeah, so I think that's a really good, a really good point. So thank you for that. Okay, so you said that before you could either overdress traditional corporate and lose your personality in the process or underdress like it's Sunday brekkie I love that and lose credibility and diminish your opportunities for visibility and growth do you think it's as black and white today as it was when you got that advice you know for banking and consulting a long time ago or not not that long actually to say Mara, <laughs> when she said she's been doing it for years I actually have to say I I'm not sure because she looks very young and fresh. So, uh, oh, well, yes. thank you very much. So I hung my shingle out 15 years ago and was embarking on that advertising career almost 20 years ago. And so, yeah, a lot of things have shifted. As we moved into this century, business casual became a huge, huge thing. Even as recently as Two years ago, I was dressing clients who do, in fact, work at at big banks. We have the big five here in Canada and, you know, big five bank senior execs who had spent 35, 40 years building their careers as these executives in suits. And they were all of a sudden told at the tail end of their career as it happened, and not the tail end of everyone's, but of theirs particularly, that suits were a no-go. Now we're business casual. And they were so distressed because so much of their personal brand had to do with how they showed up in the suit with, you know, a certain amount of authority, with that empowered feeling. And now they're being asked to remove that armor in a way, right? Clothing can be armor. Um, No matter what kind of clothing it is, it is your protection. And they didn't know what to do with it. And so we found these wonderful creative ways to bridge that gap where a lot of their younger colleagues or their more junior colleagues might be comfortable coming to to work in jeans and a blouse and a whatever. They were just like, no, this is not good. I don't do jeans on the weekend, let alone I'm not doing it at the bank. So we would find different ways of expressing the essence of a suit without it actually being a suit. So they felt they had their signature items, but it was falling into the right category of etiquette. This is what I think is so important. When we talk about overdressing, underdressing, I'm always a fan of slightly overdressing. You do less wrong than showing up underdressed, no matter what that scenario is. So if you take one thing away, please go ahead, overdress a little bit. It feels good (laughs) and it shows respect. So this is where it comes back to the etiquette. Mm. Most people really don't know and why would they that there's traditionally five levels of business dress. What? It's a lot to think about. And it is so subconscious. It's really a, it's a language. It's signs and signifiers that when you walk into a space, you can pick up if you understand the language, if you know what you're looking for. So is it so easy as you can overdress or you can underdress and it's either like Sunday breakfast or it's corporate Monday? No, there's a lot of gray in between. And as we moved from business casual to today, where we actually started to see business casual pull back a little bit because people were getting real casual, we also see all of us working from home. 
So as a person who worked corporately for many, many years, and as a person who now works digitally and has worked as a digital entrepreneur for the past four-ish years, there are very different forms of etiquette, not even etiquette, I'd say different milieu, Mm -hmm. different expectations. But now everyone is working from home. Everyone is working on a screen and that is our platform, no matter what your occupation is, no matter how you normally speak, whether it is in front of an audience, whether it is um, on a stage at conferences or working a corporate circuit or going to mom's groups every week and delivering speeches or, or talks there. Most of those activities are going to be happening digitally for the foreseeable future. And so when we think about working from home and what happens when we get dressed to work from home, you can see already it's really different than when you used to go out in the world and get dressed to be in front of people. Now we forget that even if we're only appearing on screen, the way that we're being received is an interpretation of our professionalism, of our respect for the relationship, of our goals in that particular call. Interesting. First thing I wanted to clear up, we have the word smajul in the UK. Do you have that in Canada? Is that smart casual? Yeah. (laughs) I love it. No, we do use smart casual. And actually, it's funny because I think that it, it must be a British derivative. I know that my colleagues in the U.S., could not figure out when they came up to Canada, they were like, what, what does it mean to dress smart? What is smart? And I was like, oh, that's just a whole, we just know what smart means, right? Yeah. You don't turn up looking like you've come from the garden, <laughs> just smartly, right? Yeah. Smart, smartual, what was it? So it's smartual. So we, smartual. we say, so smartual would be like, you can wear jeans, but you need to smarten them up. So smashual, I guess you'd find, I don't know, actually, I'm thinking Google. Google's probably not smashual, probably slightly less, more relaxed than smashual. Tech is a little bit different and it, it really does depend on the culture of the office. And now nobody's at the office. But, you know, I, I do always, I do always say that one must be careful when choosing their style icon to not choose Zuckerberg or you know or the like because Gary there's only one there's one Zuckerberg and and there's a lot of other reasons why he can in fact get away with that look um it's not it's not something that everybody can do as successfully but smashual I would say is much more it's a creative style of dress the more formal you get the more corporate you are the more casual you get the more creative it becomes and what we want to be sure of is that we are taking advantage of the creativity not just the casual that's 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 really cool and so we were talking beforehand before we started recording about someone like Ellen DeGeneres how would you describe her style Oh gosh, I I really love her style because it seems very smashable and it is. It it is, but it's more smart than just casual. Mm-hmm. When you look at her, she's more often than not, she's mixing very casual pieces, so active wear, leisure kinds of elements with a suit. So she has created a whole new brand of professional wear, which I love. Like she'll do, she's not pulling out Converse and putting it with a suit. She would probably keep her Converse for the weekend with, you know, with shorts or with jeans. But when she's wearing a suit and a trainer, it's a specific kind of a trainer, right? That's your dressy 
trainer as opposed to your weekend or your like I'm going to the gym sneaker. I yeah. define them differently. I know the language is, is the terminology will be a little bit different. But for me, when I think of a trainer, I think of something that I'll wear going out for the day as opposed to like a sneaker, which I'll wear at the gym to work yeah. out in. So she'll always wear a trainer and it looks kind of up leveled. It looks a little bit more elegant and sophisticated. It's never scuffed. It always looks clean and new. The laces are nicely tied. And then she'll wear maybe a pinstripe suit with a knit hoodie underneath it, as opposed to a fleece hoodie underneath it. She really understands how to utilize fabrication in a way that will give the impression of a dressier look, but still completely casual and 100% Ellen. Yeah, that's really cool. Goodness me. I see. I've never been a girly girl. So I've never, I looked at your Instagram, please go and check out Tamara's Instagram because there's some lovely pictures there. And I just think, oh my goodness, I haven't got a clue. So that's why we should go and see people like you um, to make sure that we're representing ourselves in the best way. And that leads me nicely into my next question. So if someone comes to you with no clue about their personal brand, what, I mean, we talked about that discovery. So looking at their personality, what other steps would you take them through to determine what their brand is and how they should look? How do you handle it if they don't see it themselves? That might be quite interesting to explore. That would be interesting if it happened. Um, <laughs> That's good. She says, patting her hair. Um, you know, it's the reason why that doesn't happen is because it's a very collaborative process. I'm not bestowing upon you what you should be. Should is the biggest swear word in my life. I don't dig that word at all. What my goal is, is to really have a grasp of you, who you are, what your desires are, what would make you feel fully expressed. And most of my clients I have found have had a fairly limited vocabulary about what that means, you know, or what that means, particularly as it relates to style. After all, they're coming for help. So their, their vocabulary isn't there, but their desire is. They know that they've been thinking about it. They know that this is a priority, but they don't have the time, the patience, the skill set whatever, but they do know that it needs to be taken care of. And the best way to do that is to get a partner, outsource it, you know, get some coaching. And so their vocabulary may not be as developed in terms of discovering who they are. That's where I come in. And we talk about it in terms of words. I'm really a big fan of that. Um, You know, again, I I am both written and worn. So I want to make sure that you have the vocabulary to express yourself appropriately um, in a way that feels accurate. And if it doesn't, we will massage those words. But it's it hasn't really been the case so far that, um, that it hasn't felt right. It's just that we haven't, you know, that feeling where there's a, it's on the tip of your tongue. Yes. Yeah. So I get to put it there. I'm the one who's like, I know what you're talking. I can understand what it is that you are trying to express, but are having difficulty naming. When you can name it, you have power over it. And that is really important. Brilliant. So it's a similar process in a sense to, hopefully this doesn't sound bad to you, but when you go for a website, there's always like that branding call up front. You yes. know, what's, what's your mission with the business? It sounds like it's a very similar process. Yes, it is. That's exactly right. Cool. Exactly right. 
I was interested to find out if you work with both male and female clients. You've mentioned men, so you probably do. Do you find that there is a difference in the way that each gender approaches their personal brand? I work with people of all genders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is the spectrum. And I love that opportunity to help a person express themselves wherever they fall on the spectrum. People do approach it differently because we are all different and we assimilate information differently. So there is that. I'd say the commonality amongst all of my clients is that they know there's something more to this. Yeah. They don't know what that thing is, but it's there. It feels very elusive. Mm -hmm. And normally, my clients have come to me on the cusp of major change or a major shift. So they're moving into the next stage of their career. Mm -hmm. They're moving into the next stage of their personal life. They are shifting from expressing in one way to expressing in the way that feels most authentic to them. How do we create that so that it goes with them in the moment? It is appropriate to this chapter of their lives. You know, I always say that when it comes to your personal brand, when it, and particularly when it comes to the physical part of your personal brand, there are, you know, you don't go shopping one time. You couldn't go grocery shopping one time right? Mm -hmm. There are things that you'll put in the pantry that will be good for quite a long time, but then there will be things that you put in the fridge that will only be good for a certain amount of time. And the same thing is true with your personal brand because you are human and you evolve. So as we work together, the relationship can become longer term, which is wonderful because you get to see somebody shift and grow and their knowledge expand and grow. So, you know, the one way I think that When we talk about how people approach it differently, I think it really depends on how you've been gendered throughout your life and Mm. therefore how you have been marketed to throughout your life. Mm. And so, you know, you may have more vocabulary or more understanding because of how you've been marketed to throughout the duration of your your life so far. And you may have less because of the way that you have been marketed to on the assumption of your gender. Right. But it doesn't always match. And it's not concrete either. And it's interesting, actually, that I'm I'm thinking about something called the be, do, have model, which you may or may not have come across. Other people might call it fake it till you make it, which is I don't like. But the be, do, have. So you be the the sort of person that you want to be um, and take the actions of the person that you want to be in order to have what you want. And I guess in some senses, it may be the case that you get people who are where they are, but you need to dress them in the B part you know, to become what they want. So that may be a gap from what they're doing today. Is that the case? So you're sort of up-leveling them based yeah. on their intentions. Yes. So the way that I describe it is that when we arrive during the discovery phase at our results, how are we going to move forward? What is the essence of your style? It will feel comfortable in some ways. It will feel familiar in some ways and also aspirational in yes. others. And I think that's a wonderful place to be, right? Mm-hmm. We, we do always aspire to the next stage for us whether it is you know, bigger stages or more clarity in the message I have for the world, mm-hmm. um, we're always looking at ways that we can contribute more 
during our time here. And in style, it's the same kind of way. So it should feel a little bit familiar and a little bit aspirational. And certainly it will be the execution as well that becomes more aspirational. Just like you were saying about website development or, you know, any other part of your brand development, you are growing into the professional that you want to become. And that is true also with how you portray yourself on the outside. It will have a great impact on how you consider yourself on the inside and therefore how other people consider you too, right? We all know that we need to teach people how they should treat us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can do that really easily by showing up in the spirit of how we would like to be treated, how we believe we should be treated. Excellent. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to ask you was around touch points for your brand. You mentioned these, I obviously crawled all over your website to find these questions. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm very curious about this. I, I love the film Pig. Have you seen the film Pygmalion? My Fair mm-hmm. Lady? Yeah. So yeah, well, I've read, I've read Pygmalion. Yeah. You're kind of like a Henry Higgins to lots of people uh, sort of character. But yes, yeah, so you talk about the touch points for your brand. What are they? And what's important to pay attention to at each of these touch points? When I talk about touch points of a brand, what I mean is every interaction, every point of interaction that people will have with your brand. So whether it is that they are visiting your website or they're hearing you on a podcast or they're visiting your social media or reading a blog post or seeing you speak, All of those are touch points for your personal brand. That is why it's so important to pay attention to how they all come together. Are they forming a complete picture? Do they make sense with one another? Would somebody be able to visit you in one arena and then know what to expect and be greeted with that in the other arena? So as an example, I'm coming to you live from my office. That's my closet office. And... Literally my four by six office. It's uh, lovely. By six feet. Thank you very much. Yeah, anybody can have a great at home office. It doesn't matter how big or small your home is. But I have chosen specific ways to outfit this space so that when you visit me here, it is in alignment with what you've seen on my website. It's in alignment with what you've seen on my social media. There should be really no No negative surprises. There should always be a surprise when it comes to my brand that is part of who I am. And I like a good, a good unexpected nod um, or an Easter egg every now and then, but they all fall into a similar category so that no matter where you're seeing me, it's very consistent. You know what to expect. The only thing that might change is whether or not I have a fringe you know, at that given time, or if my hair is slightly longer or slightly shorter, but it's not a part of my brand to have pink hair on one day and turquoise on another. I have clients for whom that is very much a part of their brand. And so that's the fun. That's their Easter egg. That's their surprise. But the other elements around them are consistent. You didn't tell me you were styling Cardi B. Well, you never know. (laughs) Every time I see that one, she's got different hair color. Cool. Every time. Yeah. No, it's lovely. It's very tasteful. I don't know if this is this is interesting. So, on your Instagram, there's some quite quirky pictures as well. Yeah. Um, this is very tasteful and sophisticated. I think. I think it's it's all in alignment, which is basically what you're saying. Everything needs to be in alignment for where 
you want to be going and how you want people to perceive you bottom exactly up. and and you're right like there's a lot of quirky elements to my personality that come out you know more on social than they might in my office space and the reason is you know is that there's only so much space that you can see right and so you need to be a little bit more cognizant about clutter on screen, especially if you're working with 13 inches, you really need to be cognizant about what people are seeing behind you and whether or not you are the forefront or everything behind you is taking their, the yeah. attention. But there are quirky items that you may not be able to get a read on. For example, the titles of the books. Some people's cameras pick up the titles of the books on my shelf mm-hmm. and, and they would be like, oh, is that a Wonder Woman book? You said it's a Wonder Woman book because I have like three of them, but this one goes with the decor. So, oh, <laughs> so it's the one that gets to be on screen. What you don't see are, you know, my leopard print roller skates, which are on my website. And I've thought about bringing them into my into my office, but there's only so much room and then it would become too cluttered. So you have to really make that balance. I've got a baby Yoda somewhere. Don't know what that Excellent. says about me. Yes. <laughs> Yoda. Now, this is the speaking club. And I noticed that you talk about speakers creating an intentional wardrobe to capture the right audience. That was interesting to me because I wondered if that meant that you think speakers should dress more for their audience than their own personality and brand. So I would want to toss that back over (laughs) and ask it in another way. Do you speak in front of every audience or are you intentional about being in front of the audiences that will benefit most from your message, who are your ideal client. I think it would be the latter. And if that's true, then dressing your brand and dressing for your audience are completely in sync, right? So knowing the venue, knowing your end goal of the conversation, dress appropriately. If you are selling at the end, you want people to buy into, no matter, actually, even if you're not selling, you always are selling, yes, right? Absolutely. You are always <laughs> selling your message, what, you know, whether or not you're doing it blatantly and let's hope you're, you know, you're not, you're not holding a tambourine and like selling on the side, um, you know, but you are selling your philosophy. You are selling your ideas, your thought leadership, You may be selling, working with you. Any of those ways require you to show up in the manner in which you want to be received. What is going to create the most success? And what is going to show your audience that you're here, you're here for a reason, you're here for them. And showing them that respect by showing up as your best Mm-hmm. never fails. And again, everybody's brand is different. Everybody's venue is different. The person that's coming to mind right now, we, we talked about Ellen. Yes. You would expect Ellen to show up in some form of a suit with athletic wear anywhere she went. If she was showing up on a red carpet, she's hosting an award show, that might be a tuxedo, mm. right? But the tuxedo will still be paired with sneakers or trainers, right? It will still have the trainers. It will still have a sporty element to it, an active, casual, youthful feeling. Those are qualities that we always associate with Ellen. And there will be slightly tongue in cheek, but she will never disrespect her audience. She just wouldn't do that in that way if we're talking about Ellen. If we're talking about somebody else, a classic example for me is Rita Rudner. 
I don't know if you remember her. She's a comedian. Yes. She had her heyday really like in the 80s. And every show she turned up to, she wore an evening gown, not a cocktail dress, an evening gown. And it didn't matter where she was performing. And the way she delivered, you know, with that very much a very soft, slightly monotone kind of a delivery. And the joke would always be under her breath. Yeah. And it would be appropriate, but ever so slightly inappropriate. And there she's standing saying these jokes that are so slightly, you know, out there in a formal evening gown. And you couldn't help but laugh because there was something very natural about her standing up there in that outfit and also something completely unnatural about this woman telling these jokes while dressed in in such a, a glorious formal outfit. And it just added to her personality. And it really let you know who she was. I mean, she just always wanted to be that woman in the gown. And and by all means, she was going to take every stage opportunity to be that woman. <laughs> and I respect it. Um, you know, and I think that that's where it's really important to imagine your brand, imagine who you are for your audience, what you are inspiring them toward, and respect that mission. Yeah. That is your mission. I think that's really good. In terms of her as well, because she dressed up, it was yeah. always going to be appropriate as well, like you said at the start, yeah. wasn't it? So whereas if you're, if you're dragging yourself around in jeans and a T-shirt everywhere, it's not going to be as well received. Although right. they, we talked at the start about a lot of people mimicking Gary V. You know, there aren't many people that get, in, get away with it in the same way, I think, the same as Mark Zuckerberg as well. So Right. Um, yeah, and it's oh interesting because I, I was listening to a previous episode of yours when you're talking about charisma and authenticity, and you mentioned Gary V and mm-hmm. his charisma. And I mean... The level of charisma or the the kind of enthusiasm that he brings to the screen, that is him. Mm. It hasn't been trained that way. It may be pumped up over the years because he realized that it worked. But very few of us have that level of influence or dynamism in ourselves naturally, where when you see how he also has an attitude like his his dynamism his authenticity is he's a guy from jersey thank you yeah. no apologies very few people have that same capability at the level that he's achieved it he's got a leather a lot of other elements in the mix that have helped him to get where he is so that's why i'm always like yeah it's great for him but who are you absolutely yeah. god it's fascinating stuff this okay so now we talked about a little bit about this whole shift that we've all had to make due to this blooming pandemic. And I wondered if it had affected the advice that you were going to give to speakers about what they would, would wear. And we've talked about this. And I know, well, I also want you to, you've got a freebie for people here that would be great if you could talk about as well. Because I think it'd be very helpful at the moment. Yes. So we need to think about a lot more than just what we're wearing when it comes to our personal brand. It isn't just about the clothes. Remember that clothes are a marketing tool. This is just a part of your brand. It's not everything that we do together. Now that we are on screen and not live in person, there are other things that we need to think about and manipulate in the best way possible to portray the personal brand that we intend. When you are speaking on stage, 
you did not need to worry about lighting or sound. Those were up to somebody else. You at most came in for a mic check and made sure that you were comfortable on the stage before you got up in front of people and everything else would be left up to the pros. Now we are the pros in all of those ways. So if you, as a speaker on a stage, if it is your practice to go to the stage the night before or the morning of and check out the lay of the land, make sure that you're comfortable, you know where your marks are, you have an idea of where you need to stand to get the best reactions, etc. Then we also need to put that into practice in a brand new way. And that is from your work from home space. Where are you delivering and how are you delivering? One of those things is we often, you know, as we're coaching people to speak, we want people to stand right? Get the chi going up, bring the energy through your voice. It can look really weird if you're standing on video. And the reason it looks weird is because the 13 inch space shows everything. It's It's like a side view mirror, right? On your car where objects appear larger. (laughs) no we don't want that (laughs) everything feels more intensified on the screen because the screen is small it's like the genie in aladdin right tremendous power itty bitty living space and we need to have the best itty bitty living space that we can in order to make that supreme power exist effectively to our viewers so we need to start looking at video quality, sound quality, lighting quality, uh, the background, not just what's on you. All of these elements are within your domain now. Mm -hmm. You get to control the way that you appear on screen to your viewers. If you were to show up standing against a blank wall, and you weren't walking from side to side, we all, most of us, not maybe not all of us, but I think most of us, it helps our thinking process if we move. It helps our thinking process to walk around the stage. Even if you're on a phone call, it helps your thinking process to pace, right? We can't do that on a 13-inch screen. At most, you're going to flip from foot to foot, which results in seasickness for your viewer, right? And so now we have to think about more of what the viewer is receiving in a tiny amount of space than we would have had to do when we're in person. Cool. And so you've got something for people here that might help them with that. Is that right? That's right. So the freebie that I would love for you to download is 15 video call spoilers and how to fix them. So whether it is a video call as a meeting Mm -hmm. or it is a speaking engagement, the same rules apply. So you can go to tamaraglick.com slash the speaking club podcast and you will be able to download it there and it will give you loads of immediately implementable information on how to better your appearance on screen so your personal brand is vibrant and as lifelike as it might be in person. Cool. So we'll put that link in the show notes as well. I do love that word vibrant. Such a strong, strong word there. That's brilliant. So go and check that out to make the most of your brand on the teeny tiny screen that we're all forced to inhabit these days. On top of that, um, I wondered if you could give about three tips for building a capsule wardrobe for when things open up as well that could help people shine. Absolutely. 
I'll do that in two ways. The first way is going to feel a little bit more esoteric and the second will be very practical. So the first way that I would want you to approach this is to think about your energy, your essence, and your end goal. Mm -hmm. I want all of those things to be a part of how you present yourself to the world every day, how you adorn yourself, how other people get to experience your brand. And then in a practical sense, I want you to think about what are the elements that you are participating in? Is there a dress code? Has anybody said anything? If they haven't, can you ask for the dress code? Please ask. It's not your responsibility to make it up. It's the host's responsibility to let you know. Once you know that, I want you to think about neutrals, two neutrals and a color. If you're packing for any trip, two neutrals and a color, it all works together. What the particular items are, that's something we would talk about with regard to your energy, your essence, your end goal, and what's the dress code at the event, what kind of events you're participating in. But if you need it on the fly to create a capsule wardrobe and get somewhere for two days or three days or even five days, two neutrals and a color. Excellent. Thank you. Well, listen, Tamara, thank you so much for all the wonderful advice that you've given. I've certainly... I've learned a lot, but I feel like I've now got a lot more questions and I'm sure other people will have. They can go and, and check uh, your stuff out and come and look you up as well. Now, before I uh, talk about where people can find you, I have some standard questions that I always ask. So this is the speaking club. I know that you must speak and you're speaking on podcasts and so on. What's the best thing that speaking has done for you? What a great question. I, I would love to say... Two things, actually. I think the first thing is amplification. Mm -hmm. It's been wonderful to be able to amplify my messages and my, you know, my personal mission to folks who may not otherwise have been able to access it. So amplification has been wonderful. And the other is it, it just really brings me so much joy to have that interaction. And so it does help me understand better what people are looking at today where my message makes sense and where there's room to explore. So that connection and interaction has been wonderful. Cool. And have you had a bad speaking gig? Is there one that you're just like, oh no, that was awful? No, I don't think I've had a bad speaking gig, but I can say <laughs> that in certain speaking gigs, I am always guaranteed to have that one person in the audience with folded arms who doesn't want to buy into any of it at all. And um, the worst part of a speaking engagement is if you find yourself focusing on that one person. Absolutely. And also, it doesn't mean, this is something I also say, is that they may be completely unrelated to you. It may have been yeah. something that happened to them this morning. And if you're focusing on them and not the audience, you know, it, you, you just got to forget about it and uh, focus on the majority. But that's what we do as right. human beings, isn't it? A nightmare. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay. What's the one book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Oh, my goodness. Only one. A recent one that was so impactful is called May I Have Honor. I'll give you the name of the author. I don't have it in front of me. Her last name is Brody. She is an unbelievable entrepreneur from Pakistan. And she. this is her memoir. And it is the most impactful memoir I have read in ages. She's, she is unbelievable. She, I, I just have so much respect for her. I found the book 
because I was visiting her business in Sedona, Arizona. It's called the Chai Spot. She has a few different businesses, but the Chai Spot is this wonderful tea house. Uh-huh. Um, she has two locations in Sedona, Arizona, and one in, in Soho, New York. And I've been to both. And I was there. I was, I was on the hunt to find this place because I had heard about it and that it was this great place in Sedona. I didn't know that she had just authored a book. But when I got there, I met her mother who was visiting and her mother didn't speak English. She just spoke enough to say, my, my daughter's book just came. It literally had just, it was hot off the press. She was so proud of her daughter. And I thought, I have to read this book. And it was all about growing up in a very, very rural area, very traditional um, environment, and how her parents, and in specific, her father insisted on his daughters having an education, and what that meant for her family, the trials and tribulations, and ultimately her success and moving to America and things that you just could never have imagined. So impactful. You just don't know how one opportunity can affect the amplification of your message for the rest of your life. Brilliant. And the title again was? May I Have Honor. May I Have Honor. Cool. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you. What's the best bit of business advice you've had and why? For me, there's, there's two. The first for everyone is stick with it longer than you want to. <laughs> yes. Um, I think we all get to this point in certain projects where we're about to give up. And that is the doorstep of things coming to fruition. So stick with it longer than you want to. And I think the other one, which is my personal mot- uh, motto, is follow the fun. Oh, I like that. If it isn't fun, I cannot, cannot do it. So follow the fun. That joy will allow you to be in your zone. Perfect. I love that. Yeah, I always remember that that first piece of advice. I always remember a story I heard about this gold miner who was literally one pickaxe swing away from the treasure and gave it up. (laughs) And the fellow that bought all his equipment uh, hit hit the gold. So I think that's very good. And follow the fun. Perfect. Lovely. Um, okay, last question. If you could have any mentor, they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? I think it may be Wonder Woman, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Di- Diana Prince is amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, maybe Twyla Tharp. Oh, never heard of that person. Twyla Tharp. Yeah, it's a really off the wall thought, actually. I'm just looking at her, one of her books. She has this great book called The Creative Habit. And that's why I would choose her to be a great mentor for me, because she really, she's one of the best choreographers of the 20th century. Highly appreciated. She actually, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Hair, the musical. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. In movie format. She choreographed the movie, including the horses in the movie. Oh, wow. Yes, she's done a lot of incredible work, but Hair is my very favorite rock musical of all time, favorite uh, rock opera of all time. Um, And her choreography is brilliant, but she has methodology around her creativity. Uh, You know, she doesn't subscribe to this bolt of inspiration. She creates a method. She has habits. And I think that she would make a spectacular mentor in that way. 
brilliant. I will look up the book and put that book in the show notes as well. I absolutely subscribe to that because I think creativity does come out of systems, formulas, tools and techniques. You know, even all the great artists in the world had to learn the basics and, and go from there. I think that's really, that's a really good point. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Now, where can people go to find out more about what you do, first of all? I would love for you to visit me at my website, which is tamaraglick.com. You can find everything that there is to know about how we can work together there. But of course, you can also follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram a lot, and that is at Tamara Glick, all one word. Or you can find me on LinkedIn and connect there as well. Excellent. The link for the freebie is tamaraglick.com slash the speaking club podcast. It's definitely worth picking up if you're doing more and more on-screen work. Well, listen, thank you again so much for sharing all of that stuff. As I say, I just opened my eyes up to a lot of things and uh, really appreciate it. And I'm sure it's given other people food for thought too. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're more than welcome. Thank you. There you go. I hope you got lots out of that interview. I know there were a number of thought-provoking moments for me. And as I said at the start, I think I've got some more work to do on my personal brand. If you think you've got some work to do too, then go and check out Tamara's website and pick up that freebie to help you uh, make sure you get things right when you are speaking online and working from home and all that good stuff. Uh, You can get that at tamaraglick.com forward slash the speaking club podcast and there's a link in the show notes for that for you and also say hi to her on instagram it's quite a lovely instagram i liked it so check that one out too thanks so much for listening as ever and if you do enjoy the speaking club make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a show and i would absolutely love it if you could please take a couple of minutes to leave a rating or review. And I've made that even easier for you to do now because all you have to do is go to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash T-S-C, stands for the Speaking Club, OVS, and choose where to leave the review. Well, that's it from me. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts, and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you're listening to this show because you want to grow your audience and business through speaking, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my live workshop on the three-step formula for selling when you speak. How to go from struggling to stand out and engage to connecting and converting with authenticity and confidence. This is for you if you're a heart-centered author, coach, consultant or online entrepreneur and you feel like you're not able to have the impact and results you want because your voice and message are not reaching or engaging your audience. This free workshop takes you through the ABC of creating powerful, authentic talks that sell without selling. It will help you increase your audience engagement on your webinars, podcasts, workshops, videos, and of course on stage, so that you get more sales, subscribers, followers, and speaking opportunities. And it's completely free. But places are limited. If you want to secure yours, then just go to saraharcher.co.uk slash masterclass to pick the time and date that work for you.